Hello. There we go. Ah. Hello. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as I turn my microphone on and our campuses join us in Appleton and Stevens Point. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is what we believe, who we are at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us today, as well as our campuses. Uh, want to have a quick update. Today's Mission Sunday and take a look at where we are on our uh, Go Beyond campaign of goal of $1.2 million raised. We cross the $1 million mark. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we're almost there. Now we have a big uh, gathering uh, on November 1st, first Sunday in November, uh, at the Widener Center. This is when we get all our campuses. The guys from Stevens Point, <laughs> they got to come the longest. God bless you. Uh, Appleton, all the services here, all gather at one place. Our Latino campus as well, all join us for that one service. We don't have any place big enough for that, so we rent the Widener Center. So if you're going to come to church on November 1st at your campus, nobody will be there. We'll all be at the Widener Center. You really should come to it. It's the most fabulous service of the year. And it's really fun to see and get a picture of how many people uh, are a part of this church and this fellowship. And it's so much fun. So uh, again, uh, let me encourage you to come to that. And well, actually, we got a little promo for it. Let's play that. One, one big celebration. So uh, come out for that. And prayerfully consider, just take a look at where you're at. How has God blessed you financially? And maybe you could come with a special gift to help us push and get over to our goal uh, for this Go Beyond campaign. All right? Um, what else is happening? Our T1 program, a Transition 1 program, which you heard me talk about a lot last year, is our program designed for people coming out of high school and before they go into college. We're encouraging our young people to take a year, take a gap year. A lot of people are doing this anyway for a variety of reasons. But don't just rush off right away to conquer the world and stuff like it. Slow down. Uh, take a year and get a chance to really grow in your faith. We created a uh, one-year gap program. It's just nine months, but it's for that one school year where uh, you will come and we will teach you about how to succeed in life. From a biblical perspective, it's not a Bible school, but uh, it's about how to succeed in every area of life from a biblical perspective. And then uh, a good three-month missions trip where these guys will be going around the world, and not just for a 10-day trip, which is great that people do that, but it's, that's almost more vacation. <laughs> when you're there for three months, it's a whole different ballgame. You're really living it, really learning to serve other people. 
uh, and uh, giving all the gifts that you can and get a chance to really grow in your faith. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and the rest of the stuff you're all worried about will happen. Our problem is we chase for all that stuff and we don't put first the kingdom of God. So anyway, uh, and consider that for your kids for next year. We started this year. We got a group of kids. Uh, it's, it's going extremely well. They're fabulous young people. Uh, I don't know about the uh, other campuses. I didn't check on them, but they're having a book sale here at this campus to uh, raise some funds for that. So stop by and uh, check that out. Um, over in our Appleton, or not Appleton, yes, Stevens Point, sorry. Stevens Point campus, Daryl and Cheryl Ellingers celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. <laughs> Woohoo! Good for you! Ha <laughs> ha! We're right behind them, baby. We're gonna catch up soon. That's awesome. 50 years. Uh, so sweet. Now, before I get into uh, our message for today, I just want to uh, acknowledge you know, a lot of people are aware of this uh, shooting that happened in Oregon where this uh, homicidal maniac came into a classroom and got everybody to lay down on the floor and then one at a time got them to stand up and say, what religion are you? And if they said they were Christian, they would shoot him in the head. He would shoot him in the head and kill him instantly. Uh, and uh, there were like nine people that he killed. And I'm telling you, I'm just stunned at the faith and the commitment of these young people to stand up, to identify with Jesus, even though they knew it was gonna cost them their lives. And uh, very, very powerful. <clears throat> now, in general, I don't know that we're obligated to stand up and wave a flag just because some homicidal maniac comes in and says, oh, the Christians stand up. I'm not sure about that. But that's not what happened here. He, there was no choice. He made them all stand up one at a time and took them out. And uh, I was very impressed. I mean, what a powerful testimony and statement. I was, <laughs> this kind of sounds weird, but Oregon isn't exactly the bastion of Christian thought you know, extremely liberal out there and not very many churches and have that many young people. Uh, just shows that God has people everywhere, no matter what the culture is doing. And uh, while we feel for their families and pray for their families, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of these young people and envy the fact that within, boom, they were in the presence of God and uh, having a fabulous time this morning. So, uh, wow, amazing. People often say, gee, I don't know what I would do. What would I do in a situation like that? I heard a pastor once say, you know, you decide now what you would do in a situation like that. Don't wait to get in a situation like that. Make up your mind now. What would happen if someone did that? You decide right now. I would stand for my faith. So when you get there, you're not wondering <laughs> what to do and let fear, because fear is an intense thing. Uh, you make your decision to identify with Jesus now, just not when you are forced in such a situation. Uh, this morning, I want to give the second part of a message entitled Unconditional Love. It's based on a book that I just released called The Battle Over Rules. It's targeted to married couples specifically, about couples who argue about what's right and what's wrong and who can do what and, and this whole battle over rules. And one of the problems that we run into is this idea that you hear so much today of unconditional love, and that true love is, in fact, unconditional love. And pastors and Christians, of course, were quick to pick up crazy stuff and add it into the kingdom of God conversation, and we've picked this up and say, God loves you with unconditional love, when in point of fact, it's an unbiblical concept. You're saying God doesn't love me, or I have to do something for God to love me? No. He loves you, but don't add unconditional, because there are conditions in our relationship with God. And we started last week talking about it. Uh, started in Genesis, we're going to end up in Revelation, or a mini version <laughs> of the whole Bible, but uh, going through and hitting points to show us over and over and over again that God has 
conditions. And in fact, that true love cannot exist without conditions. You have unconditional love in your marriage, you have no marriage, it'll just fall apart. You have unconditional conditions raising a kid, you'll raise a hellion and nothing will ever get accomplished. This idea that pure love requires no walls is patently absurd. And the idea that God would advocate a thing is absolutely ridiculous. There'd be no need for a Bible if there were no conditions. What do you think's in the Bible? It's God making very clear the conditions to walk with him. If there were no conditions, he wouldn't need a Bible. He would just send a letter, I love you, signed God. But that's not what we have. We have a very clear layout of exactly how we're supposed to approach, what we're supposed to do, so that we can experience the best in walking with God. Uh, We ended in the Gospels last week, going through it. We ended where Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. You know, great verse of scripture. We always celebrate. Even the kids this morning saying, he's your friend, he's your friend. You know, okay, but that's not really accurate. We sing, I'm a friend of God. What we do is we take out the second part. He didn't say we're his friends. He said, you're my friends if you do what I say. See, we get rid of the ifs. We don't want any conditions. We think if you add the ifs that somehow uh, it's, uh, there's this bad version of God. And in fact, what we're doing is we're creating a, an idea of spirituality that is patently absurd. Now, we're going to pick up here and continue uh, coming out of the Gospels and looking at just some of the key promises that are in the Bible. And in fact, they're always tied overwhelmingly to conditions. There might be a few here and there where it's, nothing's really blatant, but even then it's in the context of walking with God. Here's what in Acts, the second chapter says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the promise? You will be saved. But what's the condition? You have to call out to God. You know, a lot of people, they never really put their faith in God, never reach out to God, never talk to God. Well, I believe. Yeah, it's okay. He knows what I think, you know. Well, no, there's a condition here. You have to actually call out to him if you want him in your life. It's part of the conditions. Here's another one in Acts. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Everybody say everyone. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. What's the promise? You'll have forgiveness of sins. What's the condition? You need to repent, turn away from your sins, and be baptized. And I know it's a stumbling block for a lot of people. They don't want to get baptized. They come and they sing and, you know. I remember in Stevens Point we had our 10-year uh, anniversary <laughs> over there. And then they had a big baptismal. And there were people who'd been coming to church for 10 years <laughs> Just then getting baptized. You rascals. Anyway, I made fun of them then. Don't wait around for that. Black people, I don't want to do it. I don't. Look, you need to do it. I've heard women say, well, I don't want it because I don't want to get my hair wet. Seriously, young people standing up getting their heads blown out because they won't deny Jesus and you can't get your hair wet. Come on, reality check. You need, do I need to do it? Yeah, you need to do it. I don't want it. It doesn't matter what you want. The Bible doesn't ask you what you want to do. <laughs> That's what we need to do. All right? Um, here's one. Um, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's the promise? Darkness will flee from you. What's the condition? You have to resist him. And listen, Christians walk in great power when they walk with God. You don't have to be afraid of the devil, all right? Now, you had to have a certain amount of respect for the devil, 
The Bible says, look out for him. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. People say, oh, that was just a toothless lion. Oh, no, his teeth are very real. And he's consumed a great many people and destroyed their lives. Don't kid yourself. But you don't have to be afraid of him. And I know Christians who are afraid of the dark arts and anybody, you know, they won't drive by a certain building if there's, you know, there's something connected to that building. So, you know, I, I know Christians, I think they're a little nuts, but they look for stuff like, you know, you can't put a plastic owl in your, uh, on your lawn because demons like owls. And then the demons will come in your house. People, people like this are crazy. You shouldn't have a plastic owl just because that's really dorky looking, okay? But I don't like demon, you run around forever. There's Christians already having, their pulses are racing because Halloween's coming up. Demon night. It's the night of demons. It's Satan's night. Really? You think Satan has a night? You're thinking, man, I can't wait. It's almost my turn. Woo! And people, well, now, Pastor, you know, we know that, you know, back in the fourth century, there were druid heathens that were dancing naked around a stone, howling at the moon on October 31st. Okay. <laughs> we don't do that here. It's too cold here to do that. <laughs> I don't care what a bunch of heathens did, a bunch of you, for heaven's sakes. It's just a night where kids run around dressed up and getting free candy. Pastor, do you take your kids trick-or-treating? Absolutely. Why? Free candy. <laughs> Good grief. Oh, it's demon night. It's demon, not demon night. The demons are out all the time trying to ruin, destroy people's lives. I promise you. For heaven's sakes. Afraid of Halloween. Good night. I mean, I know people, they shut their doors and turn off the lights and close the curtains because it's Halloween. You know, a little three-year-old comes up just like Darth Vader. <laughs> you don't want to dress up like a ghost? Dress them up like Bible people. You know, or... Of course, all the little girls are dressed up like that stupid movie. What do you call that thing? Frozen. <laughs> it's appropriate here in Wisconsin, because most of them will be frozen by the time they get in. Don't be freaking out and panicking all the time. Those demons, ah! I want to tell you a story, but I won't. I'll run out of time. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, where are we at? Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Here we go. John, no, I'm not John James still. Uh, come near to God, and he will come near to you. What's the promise? God will come near to you. What's the condition? You need to come near to God. If you're complaining because you feel God's a million miles away, guess who needs to move? You. If you will intentionally move towards God, he will intentionally move towards you. That's part of the condition. The good news, you take a step to God, he'll take two towards you, but you need to draw near to him. And sometimes we find a situation where we let everything in life take our attention and God seems a million miles away and we just need to intentionally move towards uh, getting close to God. Here's one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what's the promise? He will forgive us of our sins. The condition is you got to confess your sins. And this I don't understand. There's people who struggle with the idea of ever admitting they did anything wrong. You know, I just, I've never understood that. 
<laughs> my life is wallpapered with wrong <laughs> and stupid things that I've done. Man, when I came to Jesus, I didn't have a struggle on whether or not I was a sinner. That was well established. <laughs> and they're feeling, oh, I ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm, no, I'm not bad. I didn't really bad. I ain't a friend I don't got to apologize for nothing. Really? You're really that perfect of a person. You haven't messed up in some way. If you want to really experience God's forgiveness in your life, you've got to admit that what, what you've done is wrong. It's a pretty simple thing to do. You would think, but there's people who just, man, it's the last thing in the world they could even comprehend is to ask forgiveness. They don't do it of people. You know, it's amazing how many couples, they never apologize to each other. They never apologize to each other. And then you wonder why everything's so horrible. Man, you got to learn to say you're sorry. How many of you make mistakes? Yeah. You want successful relationships with people? Learn two words. I'm sorry. Want a successful marriage? You got to add a few to it. You were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'll never apologize for another. Well, that puts you in the big fat jerk category. All right? Don't be a big fat jerk. We all make mistakes. You got to learn to say you're sorry. Pastor, do you ever apologize to your wife? <laughs> yep. Goodness gracious, don't make it such a big deal. Um, here's one. This is in Revelation. So we've gone in a real heartbeat in two services from Genesis to Revelation. The last one. To him who overcomes, Jesus said, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as, my, uh, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne throne. So here's the promise. You get to sit with Jesus throughout eternity. What's the condition? You have to overcome. And here's a shocker for you, folks. You cannot be an overcomer if you don't have something to overcome. Now, there's people who get all upset and all rattled because of trouble in their life. This has happened to me. That's happened to me. You know, they go, they, everybody's got their story. And then if we took the time to go all through here and then talk to the people in Appleton and Stevens Point and listen to the struggles all you all are having, we'll hear a variety of just, and some of them are just heartrending. You feel really bad for them. And they say, well, why? why? I don't know why, but don't let it overwhelm you. You need to overcome it. The good thing about having something to overcome is that you become an overcomer. And overcomers get to sit with Jesus throughout eternity. I want to be in that category. Don't get mad when you have challenges. God allows challenges in your life on purpose. Now, some are much bigger than others. Some are major health problems. Some are major relational problems. Some this, that, and the other. And most of the time, we have no control over these things. Now is not the time to get mad and feel bad for ourselves, and it's not fair, and God doesn't love me or whatever else. It's just we need to learn to overcome. Be an overcomer. Every time you have something that gets in your way, you ought to smile. Here we go again. Time to be an overcomer. This is how you grow in your faith. This is how you become effective. This is what puts you in the category of being an overcomer and not one who is just constantly being overcome. Millions of people, their life is nothing but being overwhelmed and overcome by sorrow and disaster and unexpected in their lives. I lost my job. We went bankrupt. So-and-so got sick. You know, my wife walked out of me. I mean, everybody's got their things. Some of them are very heartbreaking. My, my, my child's sick. All these different things. Everybody's got these lists of very horrible things, and it just crushes them. And people walk around crushed. But the good news is as Christians, we don't have to be crushed. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Anybody notice that? 
But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. Put your hope and trust in me and we can be overcomers. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Now, there you go. All right, now let me read from this brilliant book. <laughs> when it comes to conditions in one's life. We looked at the fact that even God has conditions. Now I want to get back to the point, the fact that we need to have conditions in our relationships with people. Husbands and wives have to have conditions in place. With kids have to be conditions. You know, employees, church, everybody. If you're going to have friends, anybody, if you're going to succeed with people, you can't just think anything goes and it doesn't matter and everybody should love me no matter what I do. No, you make it hard for people to love you when you do that. So there's three categories of conditions that I talk about in this little book. One is, category one is the obvious, the obvious conditions. For example, my wife is not allowed to date other men. Make note of that. Uh, our eight-year-old was not allowed to drive the family car. That should be obvious. Our 16-year-old daughter could not spend the night at her boyfriend's house. That should be obvious, although I gotta admit, the obvious is becoming less obvious today. There are people that are as dumb as bricks, and they let all kinds of stuff that just go, and then they're shocked when they get the bad results. You know, what in the world are you thinking? I was at a, you know, not only would my daughter not have been allowed to spend the night at some boy's house, they were never allowed to have, let anybody of the opposite sex into their bedrooms, ever, ever, under any circumstance. If you're at home, you're stuck in your room, and it's on fire, you're going to die. All right? Nobody goes in there. Parents, honestly. I was at this conference. I do these conferences. And this pastor comes up to me, and he's talking about his teenage daughter, 16-year-old. He showed me a picture. She's drop-dead gorgeous. Holy cow. Whoa. So did you bring her to the conference? Because I try to get teenagers to come, because they need to learn about crazy before they get there. And, uh, oh, no, no, she's at home with her boyfriend. They're there by themselves. I'm going, Really? Oh, yeah, every Saturday they come over and they just go into her bedroom, they close the door, and they study for like six hours at a time. <laughs> and I looked at him and all, I just had to smile because I got to be polite, right? But all I'm thinking is, how can you be so stupid and still breathe? <laughs> They're studying, all right. Anatomy. And probably not just 101 by now, I promise you. Good grief. Who does that? Let your teenagers be in rooms all by themselves with the door shut and the lights out under the covers so they can watch TV. Are you really that stupid? Well, I trust my kids. Well, you should be in jail. <laughs> Good grief. Then people wonder, well, I don't know why my daughter got pregnant. I don't know why this happened. I don't know. Why do you think? You got to pay attention to stuff. There's obvious, use your brain, obvious stuff. Again, I think it's obvious. The guy who wrote this book, a brilliant man, thought they were obvious. <laughs> why, why people, yeah, that's right, suck up, that's good, okay. <laughs> Here's other obvious things. You should not lie to your friends and stab them in the back. That tends to have negative consequences. Uh, Here's an obvious one. Again, not so obvious to some people. If you want to get paid, you have to actually go to work. It's, it's stunning how many people don't even get that. 
got these 32-year-old boys still living with mom. She's got to get them up every morning to go to work on time. Good night. Here's an obvious one. Don't tell your mother-in-law that you saw her sister riding a broom in The Wizard of Oz. You know, that, that may not go over very well. Again, not very obvious to some people. I'm not kidding. There's people who say insulting and crazy things, and then they wonder why they got problems. My mother-in-law hates me. Well, there might be a reason. <laughs> Try not to go to church drunk. Many pastors frown on that. There's all kinds of stuff that's obvious. You'd think they'd be obvious. All right, then you've got category two. So you've got the obvious. Those have to be obvious rules. Then you've got the debatable rules. What time do I have to be home? Who will do what chores? Who can be friends with whom? What's appropriate behavior? What kind of programs can be looked at in the house? Who can you friend or not friend on Facebook? What kind of tweets are inappropriate? How and what, over what will the children be disciplined? You know, all these kind of things. Now, these are the kind of things that are debated, which is a nice word for fighting. Okay? And it's good to fight. I believe in fighting. I'm Puerto Rican. We fight just for the sport of it. All right? There's nothing wrong with fighting and arguing. People, oh, me and my husband fight. Good. Just don't get mean. Don't get nasty. You have to fight. That's how you get to conclusions and stuff. That's how you work through issues. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of people that are just peace-oriented people. They don't want any arguments. They don't want any trouble. They just, and they just go along to get along. But these are the people who almost always end with disasters in their life. And they have no peace. The very thing that you think you're fighting for by avoiding arguing with people, you end up getting what you don't want in it anyway. You want peace? You have to have conflict. Without conflict, it's impossible to have peace. Are you hearing me? Now, we're not talking war. We're not talking about shooting each other. We're not talking about saying horrible, terrible, destructive things. That's mean. But if you don't engage people and work through the issues and stuff like whether it's your kids, your friends, your spouse or whatever, and wrestle through stuff, it's impossible to get close to somebody without conflict. It just is. There are people who avoid conflict at all costs. These are the people who wind up with no peace all the time. That's the irony of it. It's absolutely crazy. This is the, the women who never confront the way their husband behaves and then surprise when he runs off with another girl, you know, and she has no peace. Now her life's a complete disaster. I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, kids that, you know, you're, you just want to be, don't want any fights and we don't argue with your teenager. Like, man, if you got a teenager, man, you better get ready to argue, okay? Because they want to destroy themselves. They're obsessed. I want to kill myself. Is that okay? No, okay? You afraid of arguing with a teenager and you give in just to get along? You're going to end up with, there's no peace. There's going to be disaster in your life. You have to wrestle things through. Again, it doesn't have to be horrible. It doesn't have to be mean and destructive and nasty and all this. Nobody's talking about that kind of arguing. But confronting and engaging and wrestling things through, you have to do. These are the debatable rules. And they might be different than other. What some other home allows for rules is irrelevant what you allow. It's what you decide that you guys are comfortable with. And kids are famous with this. Well, Bobby's mom says he can do it. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> That's Bobby's mom's problem. Number one, they're probably not true anyway. But, uh, so anyway, you, you got to get comfortable. You're not going to find peace. You want peace? You got to wrestle. Even in the world, without conflict, you can't get peace. 
I know everybody gets all freaked out because there's a war here or there's the armies fighting over this and stuff like that. America's in a bad place right now because we're so tired of fighting, we don't want to engage bad behavior around the world. And I promise you, it's only going to end very badly. Read a book, some of you people. Look at history. About 75 years ago, America and the world was so tired after World War I. So many people had died. They just, then Adolf Hitler comes around and nobody wants to do anything about it. Nobody, everybody wants to make peace. Everybody wants to make peace. The war was desperate to make peace. Chamberlain from England, we got pictures of him in those movie clips coming off the plane after meeting with Adolf and he's waving this document. He, I signed a treaty with Adolf. He promised not to invade Czechoslovakia and Poland. Yeah, how did that work out? Very badly. It ended up in the worst conflict mankind has ever seen. Millions, tens of the numbers. You can't even be able to get your head around. And when we read, you know, they're talking about a bombing the other day, 19 people got killed. In World War II, that was nothing. Thousands of civilians would be killed in a day. Tens of millions of civilians were killed. Not to mention the combatants. It was the worst conflict the world has ever seen all because nobody wanted to fight. Nobody wanted conflict. Nobody wanted to stand up to anybody. And it was a disaster. And we are headed in the same trouble today. I know we're tired of this war. Nobody wants to put boots on the ground in the Middle East. But I'm telling you, if someone doesn't stand up to ISIS, this is going to get really bad. It's only going to get worse. That's why countries have always engaged in the smaller conflicts trying to avoid the bigger war. The same is true in your own personal life. No one's encouraging the big disastrous war. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you need to have the skirmishes required to establish a healthy relationship. And some of that is just debatable between the people in your life. Then category three is the third party, okay? And this is where you need to get other people involved. The issues that are not universally agreed upon or cannot be settled through vigorous debate end up turning to others for help. Now, a lot of people think this is a sign of weakness, and they won't insist the help of others, but it's not a weakness, okay? It's strength. If you think, I'm not going to ask anybody else for help, you are really in a weak place. Smart people always ask for help. You know who did the best in school? All the kids who kept asking questions. You know who are the most successful people in this room, in those campuses, Stevens Point and Appleton, people who make the most amount of money, the most successful business people? These are the ones who always ask other business people for advice. Always doing it. They get together, they have, as if they didn't have enough work to do. They meet throughout the week, all these little groups and stuff and conferences they go to, to meet with other business people. Well, how do you handle this? How do you do that? Why do you do that? They're constantly asking how to succeed. You want to succeed in life? If you get to the point where you hit the debatable and you can't get to a resolution, you need to turn to other people for help. Look to your friends. Look to your family. Look to your church. Look for people who can speak into your life, give you some advice. The Bible says, blessed are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. That means you got to go looking. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety, the Bible says. Asking people's advice is a good thing. If you're on this page and your spouse, or your friend, whatever, is on this page and you can't get on something, go to some people and say, man, what do you guys think? But you know, people are just so arrogant. You know, nobody can know our business. Don't tell anybody our business, our business. And these are the people that just struggle the worst in situations. Don't be arrogant. People who are smart always ask for help. Get a clue. Get some advice from others. All right? In conclusion, do people need rules and conditions in relationships? Absolutely. 
And this idea of unconditional love that people think is a biblical concept is not true. It is without support in the Bible. Why all this concern about the word unconditional? Because we end up thinking that any form of real love comes without conditions, and if people really love us, they can't put any expectations on us. And it's absurd. It's insane. Now, that doesn't mean you need to freak out every time some Christian says, we believe in unconditional love. You know, we've got to jump on them. Listen to what people are trying to say. All they're trying to say is God loves us. I get it. But I think it's very bad for our culture and our Christian culture to keep using this secular, warm and fuzzy term of unconditional because it's giving people the idea anything goes. And there's people literally, their lives are a disaster and falling apart because they think anything goes. I'm the man. I can come and go whenever I want to go. I don't go. You can't tell me what to do. This is a man who will soon be a single man. All right? You can't function that way. It's absurd. It is disastrous. Look, say love is unequivocal, unmitigated, unquestioning, unending, unfathomable, unanything, but don't corrupt it with this idea that's unconditional because without conditions, love is not possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've loved us, Lord, no matter what you love us. This isn't about earning your love and stuff, but help us to realize there's a reason the scriptures are here to show us how to do life, what the conditions are. They're not overwhelming or overbearing or impossible. We don't do them to earn your love. You love us anyway, but we need to do them. They are conditions that are necessary for successful lives, successful homes, successful spiritual experiences. Help us to realize, Lord, that we get what we get in life on purpose. If we just sit back and expect everything to happen and we shouldn't have to do anything, well, that's always a formula for disaster. Help us to learn what we need to do to succeed with friends, family, businesses, marriages. Help us to learn what we need to do so that we can succeed and thrive and be blessed. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Have a great day.